Edify means to enlighten, encourage, and uplift individuals intellectually, morally, and spiritually. And that's exactly what our Edify podcast guests do as they share practical wisdom on living our faith in public. I'm Scott Landry. Thank you for joining us today. We welcome you to the Edify podcast. Our guest is Andrea Pachati Bayer. After graduating from Stanford Law School, Andrea has dedicated her legal career to civil rights issues, including areas of religious freedom. Andrea now directs The Conscience Project. The Conscience Project defends the dignity and worth of every human being by advancing conscious rights through public education in the media and through filing amicus briefs in key religious freedom cases before the Supreme Court. She is a frequent contributor to the National Catholic Register and has also written for the Washington Post, CNN in Espanol, the New York Post, Real Clear, the Washington Times, the Washington Examiner, and Crux. Andrea has 10 children and lives in the Washington, D.C. area. Welcome, Andrea. Thanks for having me. So I'm sure after that long introduction, our listeners' ears likely raised a bit, and I'm sure would like me to ask you about being a mom of 10 and also contributing to public life in America in such a significant way. I'm sure it's inspiring, particularly to young people, to know that it's possible to do both. What advice do you have for young women who often get fed the propaganda that it's an either-or decision, career or family, instead of a both-and situation? I definitely agree it is a both-and situation, um, but it is a tough one. And there has to be moments where you pull back and you decide, first, how are things going in my life? And is what I'm doing good for my family? I had a career at the Department of Justice here in Washington, D.C. And when my fourth was born, I realized I couldn't parent the way that I needed to parent for my four children. So I left my work and for 13 years dedicated my time to raising my family and came back just about five years ago to the practice of law and to advocacy. It wasn't easy. It was a little bit of a bumpy ride to onboard again, but I would never, never regret taking the time out to dedicate my time for my children and my family. The career can wait, but kids can't. Well said. So you direct the Conscience Project. We talk a lot about conscience in the context of our Catholic faith. Of course, we want to have well-formed consciences. But in American law, what does conscience mean? What rights does it give us? Well, conscience rights protections tend to recognize both religious beliefs and protect religious beliefs and exercise, as well as moral beliefs. There are some issues in which you can't point to the teachings of a particular organized religion, but there's something that you feel you cannot do. And those rights are related a lot, oftentimes, to issues of life when we think about healthcare workers, or even in the context of vaccines, where people were concerned about the vaccine's relationship to abortion. So even while the Catholic Church says that there's no moral problem, our federal rights respect the conscience beliefs of all people and don't necessarily require you to tag on or hook on to formal religious teachings. And when we talk about conscience rights, where does where do the protections come from for all of us? Is it First Amendment? Is it some, somewhere in the Bill of Rights? What's the source of the Yes. Protection? So the big coverage, of course, is the First Amendment, right? It's going to protect the free exercise of religion. And we've seen that that's been understood in the context of uh, conscientious objectors to include moral 
beliefs as well. But we can also look at federal laws. There are several federal laws that relate in the healthcare context to objections to abortion or to uh, sterilizations. And there is a push to try to get in the Department of Health and Human Service services to maintain protections for healthcare workers, as well in the areas of gender ideology and gender identity procedures. Um, but we can see also states have protections as well, and they have protections in the form of state religious freedom restoration acts that say that the state governments can't limit people's free exercise. And so we're really seeing that we have, um, fortunately, more so than many other countries across the globe, protections in place to protect uh, our religious beliefs and our conscience rights. This is an area of specialization in law. Um, what attracted you to this, or did you just start working on projects like this and develop the ex experience and stick with it? Well, as you mentioned earlier, I've been a civil rights lawyer my entire professional career. I started off in the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division, and I dealt with housing issues and with the rights of institutionalized people, as well as police misconduct. But as I as years passed, I, I grew to see that there is an important place of religious freedom and the protection of all Americans that is for all Americans, everyone, everywhere. And so I've developed more of a specialty, and that's coincided with my own growth in faith as well. I've seen how important religion and my beliefs are for me, for my family, and I want to make sure that all Americans have defenders for their rights. People who follow the Supreme Court um, recognize that there's been a religious liberty case perhaps once a year or every other year, but it seems like there's many religious liberty and conscience rights cases coming up to the Supreme Court in 2022. Certainly with Amy Coney Barrett's appointment, the math of the court is different. What are the most important cases that the Supreme Court is hearing this year that all people who care about conscious rights should know about? Scott, you're right. It used to be that every term you'd have maybe one religious freedom case or conscience rights case. We've got several on the docket this term. Some relate to mandates uh, connected to the coronavirus pandemic. So we had several issues um, percolating, asking for emergency relief from state mandatory vaccine requirements for healthcare workers that relate to religious freedoms because those mandates didn't uh, provide for religious exemptions. But we also have a range of issues. One is Carson v. Macon, the school choice case out of Maine. But there are a number of other ones. One comes from Boston in Massachusetts, and I like to call it the flagpoles case. And it's a free speech case, but it also touches upon religious freedom because the person who wanted to raise the Christian flag in front of City Hall as part of the city's flag raising program wanted to raise it, um, a Christian flag, and he was told he couldn't because of religious context. So that's another one to watch. We also heard that the Supreme Court will be hearing, uh, taking on the case of Coach Joseph Kennedy. He's a Christian football coach who was fired from his job because he'd kneel and pray after games. And we also have another of a number of other cases that have been argued and, and have already had oral arguments. And for sure, everyone 
everyone knows the Dobbs case, if it sides with uh, restrictions on abortion at the state level, will uh, alleviate some of the clashes that we see coming time and time again over the rights of conscience and religious freedom and the abortion movement. Is it your sense that the Supreme Court is just accepting more religious freedom type cases now? Or there have been more issues that just got to the point where the Supreme Court could decide whether they would take the case or not? You know, the court uses a very interesting calculus for deciding whether or not to choose a case. One of the most important issues is whether there's a conflict between the different courts of appeals. And several of these religious freedom cases have that kind of conflict, where if you're in the Seventh Circuit in Chicago, you have a different experience and protection for your religious freedom rights than if you're in Colorado in the Tenth Circuit. And so that's been one indication where we've got a disconnect between our courts of appeals and the Supreme Court really needing to come up with a standard rule. And the other, unfortunately, Scott, is that state governments and even the federal government now are taking greater liberties and trampling on people's religious freedom without a care in the world. And so they have to, we all have to go to the courts for relief and protection. On the homepage of the website for the Conscience Project, it has this quote, in a changing society, rights of conscience are an individual's last line of defense. Please share about more about why that's true. Well, we know, sadly, our culture is changing. It's becoming more and more secular. And it's very hard for our neighbors to understand, if we're people of faith, why that matters so much if it doesn't matter that much to them. But we have these bedrock principles of religious freedom. And so enforcing, recognizing, and defending these rights, whether it be in court or in our legislatures, are the way to help educate our community, protect our own faith, and maintain what has been a hallmark of our American tradition, which is religious pluralism and the respect for belief. When I think about the First Amendment and how that gets discussed, in the public square. Too often, uh, Christians or Catholics get shouted down, yo, that isn't, uh, that violates the separation of church and state. And it's a misuse of the clause of the First Amendment. Please share a little bit about what, sh what should we all be ready to say? How should we respond to those uh, the, that mischaracterization of the First Amendment? Well, you're right. It seems like America's understanding of the Establishment Clause is stuck in the 1970s. Beckett Law recently, in a brief to the Supreme Court, said that they had a shag carpet understanding of the Establishment Clause, which I thought was fabulous. Um, and, and it really is a misunderstanding. The Establishment Clause is a guard against the government imposing itself, kind of doing a takeover of our churches. And instead, it really is to try to say the government can celebrate our rich tradition of religious pluralism and at the same time does not need to get in the middle of decision makings within the churches. So I think when we go back to the Supreme Court, we've got a bench that's a majority bench full of what I like to call originalists. These are justices committed to the original meaning of the Constitution. And that's going, I think, to help kind of recenter our jurisprudence and American understanding of where our churches are in our American society. 
So is the establishment clause, am I oversimplifying by just saying that means that the U.S. government can't say uh, the United States is now a Presbyterian country or a Jewish country or a Catholic country, or is it more con I'm, I'm sure that there are whole courses taught on this. So um, how should we understand what the separation of church and state really means versus what people think it means. Well, we don't want the government imposing itself into our institutions, and we also don't want the government getting into our business. So we have to protect the ability of churches to hire, to promote, to fire people who aren't consistent with our mission as a church community. That's been recognized by the Supreme Court recently as a ministerial exception. And it's curiously something, a development that's come out of both the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. It's very important for Americans to know that these two religion clauses aren't in tension, but they work in tandem. Well said. So one of your recent projects in line with the Conscience Project is a podcast at National Catholic Register called Religious Freedom Matters. Tell us more about the, that podcast. It's been amazing. Um, as you know, starting off with a, a new form of media is always a great challenge, but it's been so exciting for me to work with one of the Register's veteran reporters, Joan Desmond, in developing a podcast series so that readers and other interested listeners can get a sense of why religious freedom matters both in American society and in their own lives. We've done a series that looks at a general overview of religious freedom from both a constitutional perspective and Catholic teaching. We've also focused on the intersection between religious freedom and education. And our next series coming up is gonna be focused exclusively on school choice. So we encourage you to check that out and we'll put a link to that in our podcast notes. Uh, Andrea, what's the best place online for people to learn more about the work you do, the work of the Conscience Project, and all your writings and podcasts on religious freedom? So our website is conscience, which is conscience, which does not mean I'm against science. I'm totally for science as well conscience-project.org. I also have a Twitter handle, which is with an equally unwieldy name, Bayer Pachati. So if you just start typing in Bayer, you'll probably get Bayer Pachati. And I'm not cool enough or young enough to be on Instagram. So if you're on, listening to this on the edify.us site for the podcast, just look below uh, this recording for all those links. Thank you, Andrea, for everything you do to help edify Catholics so that together we can edify America. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To make it easy for you to listen to future Edify podcast episodes, please make sure you subscribe over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you.